This January, over 750 OA members gathered in Los Angeles for OA's 50th birthday party. Events included keynote speakers, multiple long-timer panels, workshops, a big book boot camp, and even an appearance by Roseanne S. If you'd like CDs or MP3s of any or all of these sessions, go to oa50th.org and then follow the link to the recordings. That's oa50th, oa50th.org. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Robin. Thank you so much. My name is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater and recovering bulimic. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for asking me to lead. It's wonderful to be here tonight. This program has given me my life and has given me the gift of health, physical health and mental health, and a connection to a higher power I never had. I'm going to start at the beginning. Um, I know I was a food freak since my earliest memories. When I was five, I remember um, getting my allowance, which was a nickel or something, a nickel or a dime, going to buy gum. I used to like to buy chiclets and eat the whole thing in one mouthful. And um, and I remember crossing the street without looking, and a guy in a little red convertible almost hit me. I'll never forget his hands covered his eyes like this as he braked because he thought he was going to hit me. I didn't tell my family about that. That's my disease, you know, because I didn't want to be stopped from going by myself to buy my own candy. So, you know, <laughs> I also remember, you know, being in that house. We moved when I was six, so I know I was five, and um, making a snowman and coming into the house and demanding of my mother that she make me hot chocolate because I had seen that done on TV. You know, the kids are playing in the snow, la, 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 going to the kitchen, and Mom serves up hot cocoa. She said, no, you're going to spoil your dinner, and I threw a hissy fit. And, you know, I just used to do weird things with food. I used to eat raw foods. I don't know if anybody is one of those strange people, but I remember being a child and eating raw hot dogs and hiding under the refrigerator. We had, like, my father was a compulsive reader, so we had, like, um, the deep freeze, and we had um, a commercial-sized refrigerator. So I would be able to lie underneath the commercial-sized refrigerator and eat raw hot dogs and hide. I also used to eat raw oatmeal and paper cups. I don't know if that was a delicacy to me at the time. So uh, I was pleasingly plump. My older sister was anorexic. She used to go to the doctor. My mom took her to the hospital, or not to the hospital, to the doctor to get little pills, and she was given cream to eat in her cereal. You know, and I just would get the little nudges and the little pinches from my uh, relatives, like, you're getting a little chubby. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it was okay. Um, I didn't feel alienated, and, in fact, by the time I finished college, um, there's a picture, I wish I had it, but there's a picture of me with my parents and grandparents. My mom had passed away, but my stepmother and my father and my grandparents, and we're all at least 50 pounds overweight in that photograph. So this is my DNA. This is where I come from. Um, So if I can lose weight in this program, so can you. (laughs) You can overcome your DNA. And you can overcome cultural habits because, you know, in my family, you know, I used to grow up seeing my dad um, come home from work and lie down in bed with a block of cheese on his chest and a knife sticking out of it. 
and reading a paperback. You know, <laughs> that's how we lived. And um, let's see. So, yeah, pleasingly plump. And then I started um, getting into the magazines, like Seventeen and Young Miss. And they were full of diets and suggestions on, you know, how to look good. And I really did think in my childish mind that, you know, those women, young women woke up looking like that. I didn't realize it took a team of professionals two hours to make them look like that. So I I felt um, very inadequate. I started doing insane dieting. Um, My breakfast in junior high, I remember, was a cup of hot water because tea had carbs and, you know, and a handful of vitamins. And, um, you know, half a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at lunch. And then pretty much by 4 o'clock I was starving and then I'd binge the whole afternoon and evening. My mom did pass away from uh, cancer, from breast cancer, when I was 13. And that was kind of the end of my innocence for me. I became um, the sort of substitute mom. I would fix hamburger help for for my family. And I, um, you know, became uh, kind of hiding out in the kitchen. Um, that's where I handled my grief. Um, you know, I would eat and eat and eat and eat. And um, I did indulge something I wanted to do all my childhood that I was never allowed to do after she died. I um, I made a box of chocolate cake mix and ate the whole thing. And that was something I thought adu- I would do as an adult and because that came early because I felt like an adult at 13. I did that. And with that, I discovered bulimia. My father taught it to me. I said to my father, Dad, my stomach's, you know, I'm just so full. I don't know what to do. And he goes, oh, okay, well, you know, we can mix these common household products together. And he did it. And he gave it to me, and I drank it. And it, it, it started bulimia for me. He didn't know any better. When he was in college, uh, he himself took a lot of speed in the 50s. And, you know, his, the, the men of his generation that were doing that thought it was vitamins. They, they really didn't know it could do terrible things and, and create addictions. But anyway, that was what I was taught. But vomiting was never really my thing. My thing was more laxative. And after my mom died, we moved to Guatemala. It took five servants to replace her. She was a stay-at-home mom. I would get the maid to, you know, go down to the market and bring home basically a shopping cart full of groceries on her head in a basket. You know, I would eat those foods. And you know, I'd lie in bed and call her name, Maximina, and she'd come running to the doorway and, and ask me what I wanted, and I'd say, French fries. And, um, you know, I ate my way up to 185 pounds as a teenager. I eventually quit going to high school and just stayed home, and my father finally noticed I wasn't going to school, and I was asked to go to correspondence school, which I did. Then I went away to boarding school, and in boarding school I started stealing the other kids' foods, and then I started stealing their drugs. And what I stole was um, something that I would thought would make me go to the bathroom. I remember stealing this young woman's tetracycline. She she had acne, and she took tetracycline for her acne. And I knew I could take a handful of that, and it would give me the runs. And so I did that, and I'm really grateful that I did not, you know, blow out a kidney because I could have really done some organ damage doing that kind of thing. And that's the insanity of the disease. For some reason, there was a higher power looking over my shoulder and and guiding me. And, you know, maybe it was the spirit of my mom. Maybe it was me just wanting to live longer than my mom did. But something always kept me going. And I think in my family, you know, we didn't... um, You know, we didn't uh, hire a gardener. We did it all ourselves. We didn't go to therapy. You know, we just kept it all inside. Um, 
you know, it was just like, you just couldn't show weakness. And, and admitting that I had turmoil, that maybe I was gay, I'm definitely gay, but I, you know, at that time, yeah. Um, you know, it was just like, you know, you just don't show those weaknesses. You know, it's okay to cry if it's sentimental. And it's not okay to cry. There's something wrong if you're crying and you're upset. So that's the message I got. Um, and I'm really grateful for this program because this program taught me how to grow up. This program taught me how to be real, how to show weakness, and how to accept blame, and how to admit my faults, and how to make amends in a dignified way that doesn't hurt the other person. So I struggled and um, went through college, came out in college. I found out later reading a book that the college I went to was like the the easiest college to come out in. <laughs> I didn't know it at the time. I just went there because my sister went there. But um, And she dropped out right before I got there, so I was, oops, on my own. But um, that was okay. I just pushed on, and I finished early. And I've noticed that in this program, that there's a lot of people that are well-educated, high-functioning, uh, great workers, very trustworthy, um, high earners, loving parents, and, and yet we share the common disease of not being able to stop eating or not being able to stop messing with the food in some way. And that's just compulsion. It's just compulsion, and it's just what we get. It, you know, it's a roll of the dice, and this is what we get. So in college, I made it through, and I moved to New Mexico. I fell in love with a woman who was a drug addict, and I found Al-Anon at the tail end of that relationship after about five years of being in a hellish relationship where I used to drive home from work and hope she was dead when I got home. <laughs> that was my life. When I came into program, feeling like a million. Um, so I first came into Al-Anon, and then I moved to L.A. because I fell in love with her ex, who um, they used to play um, cards together for Valium. So I thought that was really funny, and I so uh, yeah. So I fell in love with her and moved in uh, moved to LA 25 years ago to live with her, and so we lived together for four years. And in that time, I did find OA. I don't know what I heard, but I heard that you could come to OA and lose weight and not go on a diet. And so, as you heard from my high school story of the hot water and the vitamins, I was insane with diets. So I knew I could I didn't have another diet in me. So I came into OA. Um, at that time, I was about. 20 pounds heavier than I am now, but my top weight was 185, but when I came into program, um, I was about 20 pounds heavier than I am now. Right now, I'm about 100, between 135 and 140. I came into program, I got abstinent at my first meeting for five years, and I'm a slipper. After five years, I've gone out twice, and I think what happens at five years is that you become kind of a grown-up. I've heard a woman describe it <laughs> when you turn five um, your your head pops out of your ass. <laughs> so I just couldn't handle it the first few times I turned five. I was like, "Woo, this is way too much feeling for me." And um, yeah, I just I'll never forget like the, seeing my um, all my books and nobody wanted them at a yard sale. So I, you know, this homeless guy came and we gave him all our leftover stuff that nobody wanted, and he's just like walking away in a cart. And I was just like, there go, there goes my program books. And, you know, after a year of thinking I could do it at home alone, at that time I was with a partner who was also in program. So I thought, well, wherever two or more are gathered, you know, <laughs> that we could, you know, kind of have an ongoing meeting. And, uh, yeah, pretty soon I was, you know, just really binging and 
worked my way back up to, you know, um, 163 pounds, and I wore this yellow suit to work that she had bought me, my ex, and, you know, that's the only thing that fit anymore, this yellow suit, oh, God, anyway, there was happiness in that household. I mean, she had a, a young son, and we had a family, and, and we bought a condo together, and she started a, a dry cleaners. And and then her son uh, had a failed relationship, um, and he killed himself. He took his life. And I lost my abstinence again over that. I stayed in bed with plates of food around me. I uh, told all my babies I couldn't sponsor them anymore, and it was because they were interrupting my eating, honestly. That's why I stopped wanting them to call me. So if you're ever afraid of of being intrusive, if you have a sponsor and you're afraid of maybe it's a bad time to call, call. Because there's been so many times when I've been standing up in front of the fridge with a fork in my hand, and I get the call, and it's just like, okay, I can put the fork down. You know, it's just like distracting a child. It's, It's the same thing. So I was very grief-struck, and my father did tell me some good advice at that time. He said, uh, you know, people, when they lose a child, um, couples tend to fall apart because they're hurting so badly they want to blame someone, so they start to blame each other. It was good that we I heard that because we never did that. But the relationship did fall apart over financial issues, and, and she went, after eight years of sobriety, you know, and she started her own business, she... Um, she started working 14-hour days, and she found um, some crystal meth in the pocket of a customer of his pants when he turned him in, and he became her dealer, and she started doing drugs, and that did, our relationship deteriorated, and she started spending all the money she was making at the cleaners on drugs, so we, we were in a financial crisis, and um, she filed bankruptcy, but I talked to a friend in the program who said, uh, don't do it, uh, just pay it back. I did. And I'm very grateful for that because, you know, I've had the gift of freedom from financial insecurity because of that one conversation. So at that time, I also was looking for a new job, and I asked a neighbor for help, and she referred me to a wonderful headhunter, and I got a job, and I've been with the same company now for about 11 years. They pay me a lot of money to give money away. It's a great job. I work at a foundation. These are beautiful people, and these are people who treat me with respect, and I'm just very grateful, and I I work in Santa Monica. I work six blocks from the beach. I live in a house in the valley now, you know, with a swimming pool. I'm a partner now. We've been together eight years. Um, And when I first met this woman, it was through a friend in program who introduced us. They used to play softball together. When I met her, I went over to her house, and she had a big book in her library, or just really a shelf. She doesn't have a library. It's a house in the valley. They don't have a library. <laughs> so, she, uh, so I knew that it wouldn't be a foreign language, that we could, you know, at least she had some familiarity with the program. And as it turns out, it was an ex-girlfriend of hers who was in AA that gave her that book. I remember our, uh, our first date, and we were going to a party. These friends of hers had a lot of money, and they lived in a house like a above the flight plane. You could, like, look out over the valley and see planes down below, like, up in the hills, very ritzy. And as we're going into their house, she said to me, do you have good manners? She was afraid I'd embarrass her. (laughs) I said, well, I think so. So, you know, that was our first date. And I just, I wasn't put off by that because she was just very direct. And she was a New Yorker. And I really like that. I, I feel like with New Yorkers, I always know where I stand. Yeah, you don't pull any punches. So, um, so we get along. We still do. We get along much better. And as time goes on, and and I feel like she's really um, embraced my family. 
and my family's very strange. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so eccentric. Um, you know, that's kind of my middle name. Um, but that's okay. I accept that today. And, um, and there's certain things I like to do today that I would have never thought I could do. I remember when I was a teenager, um, not only was I obese, 185 pounds, I also uh, smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. And I remember I couldn't get up a flight of stairs without being out of breath. And um, and tomorrow I'm going to do a, a sprint triathlon in Playa del Rey. And I'm 50 years old. And, you know, if you would have asked me when I was new in program, when I was 26, if I could do a triathlon, I would have said there's no possible way. And why would I want to? <laughs> but, um, you know, my partner kind of inspired me. You know, I she grew up with brothers. She did a lot of sports. And she just was always going off to play tennis. And it was like three or four times a day, or not three or four times a day, three or four times a week playing tennis and tournaments on holiday weekends. And, you know, how do you do that? And she was 50. So now I'm 50. And, you know, I just feel like, why stop now? You know, if it's fun, just keep doing it. And I really find that if I go to a meeting and work out, I usually have a pretty good day. It's very simple. I, I try to do the best I can with my family. Um, I try to be receptive, and um, I try to be mature because uh, a lot of what I um, sense in my family is, you know, kind of self-will run riot and a, a lot of immaturity. And so I just try and be mature but be myself, try and be a good listener, and I try and spoil my nieces and my nephew because I don't have kids, and I do try and help them with their uh, college expenses. You know, I try and set aside some money um, for when I finally quit my job, and I'm just looking more and more forward to that day. <laughs> I don't think that day is going to come anytime soon, but it's fun to think about. You know, what would I do if I if I didn't have to do anything? You know, I really think I would go to a meeting every day. That sounds maybe kind of boring, but you know what? I think I would really enjoy that, and I think I would enjoy being of service more. I don't know, you know, who knows what the future holds, but I feel like I'm going to be around a long time, and I and I get to um, live the life that, you know, my, my parents never got to enjoy. You know, my mom died because of breast cancer. My father had his disease. He, he had his jaws wired shut. He had bariatric surgery. You know, his stomach was the size of a thumb. Um, you know, he's, he's done everything. Um, he's gained and lost 100 pounds. He got the shots of pregnant horse's urine and he had meals delivered to the house and you know he's had he's done Weight Watchers we used to do Weight Watchers together and he went to one meeting and he said just tell me about it you know just tell me about it when you go to the meetings tell me after how it went you know that was his idea of going to Weight Watchers you know it was just we we tried crazy diets together he was my dieting buddy we did the um, Stillman's diet we did the Atkins diet um, and he used to pay me like 15, 20 cents to, um, we had his and her exercises, and we would get on our exercises together in the morning and, and do that for 20 minutes for exercise, and those are exercise bicycles if you don't know what I'm talking about, but and anyway, so, you know, he, he tried everything, and he even tried OA, I told him about OA, and he tried it, and he said, oh my God, it was a small meeting in a hospital in Mississippi, and there were, you know, four other people, and I just, I couldn't go anymore, I just couldn't, and he just doesn't like groups, you know, it's just not for everybody, and I'm very grateful that something clicked in me, I don't know what it was, it was just, uh, I heard the words keep coming back, so if you're new, please do keep coming back, and 
you know, just to uh, run through the steps, kind of, um, you know, step one, I admit I'm powerless. Uh, last night, or rather two nights ago, I was driving home from work. I wasn't that hungry because I had had a, a pretty big sandwich at lunch. And um, even though I wasn't hungry, I was thinking, well, what will I have for dinner? And this little sweet childlike voice said, how about cake? <laughs> and, you know, that is step one. That is just, I am powerless. I will always have that little sweet, cunning little voice um, with those cute suggestions that I just can't do. I just can't um, because I can't have a slice of cake. I'll have two or three, and then I'll hate myself. I'm in recovery uh, seven and a half years from no bulimia, and that's my bottom line abstinence is no, um, no laxatives no matter what. Um, and also, I do, uh, my sponsor tricked me um, <laughs> into giving up sugar. She, she said about, maybe about two and a half years ago, she said, let's try a little experiment. And you can just give up sugar because you're talking about it every day and you're obsessing about it every day at 4 o'clock for an hour and you can't even do any work. So why don't you just try it as an experiment? And I was like, okay, well, experiments, like, what's that, 48 hours? So it's, it's been about two and a half years, one day at a time, um, although I still have little bits, like I'll have a bite of my partner's dessert, or if someone hands me a drink that's made with sugar, like lemonade or something, I'll sometimes have it, because that's not really a binge food. But, um, yeah, essentially I don't eat sugar. I, I read labels, and I avoid it. But, you know, those are the things I'm powerless over, and... Um, I did discover a higher power. Before I came into program, I had just a higher power that was um, kind of like the universe, like the stars, and, you know, things that were bigger than me. So that's a higher power. But today, I do have a higher power I choose to call God, and I pray a lot. I pray all the time. And I did go uh, back briefly into the church of my childhood a couple of times and found loving, kind people. And then I just didn't want to go anymore. I don't know why. but um, So I, I don't go to practice uh, a religion anymore, but I am a spiritual person, and I find my spiritual connection with my higher power when I do my hikes with my dog and my friends. And, you know, I'm just surrounded by beauty and surrounded by um, nature. And it just feels so alive to me. But that, to me, is my connection to my higher power. Turning my will and my life over to the care of God in the third step, that's my favorite step. To me, it's like just complete release, just whoo, dropping back onto, you know, onto an ocean wave or onto a mattress or something that feels good. Um, and just being able to uh, feel safe and taken care of and, and know that I am not in charge because my will, you know, it's like, how about that cake? You know, it's just not, not very sane. And um, the fourth step, I'm going to be giving away a fourth step. Uh, step to my sponsor. Um, it's my second one. Uh, with this particular sponsor, I've given away many over the years, probably eight or nine or ten, but we're going to do that next week. Um, I still have so many character defects, but it, it's gone from like a full eight and a half by eleven page of single line, probably on my first inventory, to like ten. But they're the ten that won't go away. Yeah, they're just really hard to get rid of. And stubborn is probably stubborn and impatient, um, but certainly stubborn. But you know, there are some good things to be found about stubborn. And stubborn means that you know I keep coming back even when I don't want to, because I know this is the the, the last house on the block for me. Um, 
So stubborn sometimes is what keeps me absent. I just stubbornly um, won't give up. And and that's because of you guys. I don't want to let you down. Um, and then in the fifth step, we admit to God, to ourselves, and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. You know, my grandfather told me once, Robin, always be true to yourself. That's just good advice, you know, and it's it's... And it's more meaningful to me to um, give away my food to my sponsor every day because I can feel guilty over a grape. So I'll just go ahead and tell her what I ate instead of feeling guilty about it because as soon as I hang up the phone, it's done. Or send an email or text. It just is so great not to carry that around and not to be able to live life in between the meals and not be thinking about what I ate, what I'm going to eat, and, and just stay like that as a hamster on a wheel. It's really great to be able to give it away and also just to really seriously dig deep and, and do a, an inventory of my character defects and the um, issues that I, I, I struggle with and, and be able to give that to a loving human being who doesn't, you know, tell me, um, you know, you're just too messed up. <laughs> she accepts me. Uh, six and seven are the hardest steps for me. I think that's part of the reason I just keep coming back to because I, I, I really don't get those steps. It's about being ready to have God remove all these defects with character, and, and that happens. The process of getting ready is the process of cleaning house and, and digging through the stuff, and that's when our higher power comes in and takes things away, um, when we get ourselves ready. And step seven is all about humility, and um, I'm a Leo. You know, Leos are never more than ten feet away from a mirror, and, uh, you know, it's really hard to get humble. And, you know, whether I'm top of the world or the the lowest rung on the ladder it's it's all self-obsession and and um what's great about working with with sponsees and newcomers is that oh my god it's so such a blessing to get that call and not hear you know my my head of self-obsessing and be able to um focus on somebody else for five minutes so great and making the list of all peoples we had harmed became willing to make amends to them all I think steps eight and nine sometimes scare people away from the program. They don't want to do that, making amends. But it really is freeing. I've I've been surprised. Things I've done. I used to um, be a thief. I used to steal from grocery stores. I used to take turkey breasts, shrimp wrap turkey breasts, and stick it in my parka pocket, and and jars of pickled artichokes in the other pocket, and you know I. I I had to make amends for that, and, and as time goes on, I remember, you know, um, in, in that um, in my first step, those things came up, and my sponsor t- told me to give $200 to charity, so I did. I also um, realized, you know, in my current inventory that I um, used to stay with my grandmother in Mexico and make long-distance calls to the United States to my girlfriends, and, you know, I was a teenager, and we could talk for hours, and, and she confronted me on the phone bill, and I said, those weren't me. And so I owe her some money for that. And so, you know, things come up. Uh, And that was like 35 years ago. But things do come up, and it's interesting to go through the process. So I'm going to have to send her some money. (laughs) Thank God she's still alive, so I can do it. Continue to take personal inventory. To me, that's about connecting with my sponsor on a daily basis and calling my food, and also to not be so arrogant with my partner and admit when I do things like I leave the gate open or, you know, Oh, well, maybe it was me. You know, but really, I don't remember doing it. But I'll just say, okay, maybe it was me. I probably did do that. And step 11, that's, that's a hard one for me, too. It's hard for me to sit still. It's hard for me to uh, read, write, and meditate. But when I do read, write, and meditate, like I, I'll do like a five-minute each thing. And so it takes a total of 15 minutes. It really does center my morning and center my whole day. It starts me off on a good foot. So 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Um, that's what, The reason we do that is because, um, like as a child, I used to pray for candy bars and money. And I'd wake up in the morning and look at it on the table and see if it was there. It wasn't there, so I didn't believe in God. <laughs> and he didn't come through. So having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry the message to others and practice these principles in all our affairs because, you know, I can be really kind of together here in meetings, but, you know, when it comes time to, like, show up for work on time and to, you know, carry my weight at home, it's easy for me to slack off on that because nobody's really watching and I know what I can get away with. So it's important for me to do the best that I can with my limited understanding, my limited abilities, and I do make mistakes every day, but um, that's just me, so I'm... I'm done, and I'd like to hear from you. Thank you for letting me share. So, if there's any questions. Thank you so much for your share. Can you tell us a little bit about what your program looks like each day on a regular basis? Okay. Uh, Repeat the question. Oh, what does my program look like on a regular basis, on a daily? What do I do in my program? Okay, well, um, I pretty much try to go to three meetings a week. I um, sponsor three ladies, so I take their calls. I do work the steps. I do some writing on the steps, not consistently, but I do work the steps by writing and answering questions in the OA um, 12 and 12, and in the uh, workbook I, I work from those questions. But I'd say, I, altogether, I probably put in about 45 minutes a day on program. So that's kind of what it looks like. Well, how do I recognize my higher power working in my life? When I do a gratitude list, I realize how good I have it. And I realize that the things I'm grateful for, which are usually people... I didn't make those people. They came to my life. I found them or they found me, but, you know, that's that's a higher power at work to me. Um, I guess that's it. And also, like I say, you know, to me, to go to my higher power is to go into nature and be away from, um, like, the rat race and kind of be in stillness and, and in the forest. And that's where I really feel a sense of higher power. And I go camping and stuff like that. I feel closer to God then. Also because I'm really very vulnerable. You know, up in the mountains, it's like, okay, hope there's water because I'm going to need some. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lucy? Thank you so much. Is there anything that's coming up in your program now after eight and a half years that's different than before? Thank you. Is there anything coming up in my program now at eight and a half years that is different from before? Uh, well, what's coming up now is uh, learning about letting go and um, how how little control I really do have. You know, kind of realizing how little I do know. Maybe that's starting to get smarter is when I realize how, how little I do know, how much I have to learn. Because um, I really thought I knew everything. Like in my first absence, I really thought I had this thing lit. I thought I was done. That after the first year, uh, I was on that pink cloud my first year of abstinence, and I really thought I wouldn't have any more problems and I would look like Christy Brinkley, a supermodel. <laughs> it just, wow. And after one year, I still had thighs. And I 
you know, I lost weight, but I still had problems. You know, my partner was still a stoner. I just really had to um, keep coming back and, and get support. So, thank you. Okay, thanks so much for letting me.